Welcome to the podcast of Revival Fires. This week's message by Ryan Baker Barnes is called Watching Over Your Relationships. Don't miss our Secret Place Conference from the 26th to the 28th of January. We have special speakers Chuck Pierce, Ben Fitzgerald and Rachel Hickson joining us. Visit our website www.revivalfires.org.uk for full details or tune in online at revivalfires.tv. So I'm, I'm talking to you today about watching our relationships. That, you know, this year we're going to, on a theme of just watching with the Lord. What does it mean to watch with the Lord? And I want to talk specifically about watching over our relationships. Everyone say relationships. And Gary, Gary stole my, my, my scripture this morning for the offering talk, but that's when you know you're on the right page, isn't it? I want to read to you a chapter um, from Mark, Matthew uh, chapter 15. 14. I'm going to read from verse 14 as well. 14, 14. Let me just read this out to you and then we'll, we'll get stuck into it. So it says, When he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. The hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy, buy food for themselves. But Jesus... But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, and there was 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides the women and the children. Pretty amazing story, right? I want to I just, before I get into anything, I want to make this statement. We were praying on the watch of the Lord one, one afternoon, one evening, that very scripture about who are you connected to. And in the middle of it, God just said to make this statement, I want to make it to us as a church, that this is the year that God wants your relationships to be the pathway for miracles. This is the year that God wants our relationships with people, people in the workplace, people in your families, people in schools, people in the council. This is the year that God wants those relationships to be the channel for miracles. I'm really excited about that. A lot of what I'm going to preach this morning as well, you guys have probably already prayed it. So if, if I'm using your point, I want to give you credit. There was some incredible revelation coming out as we prayed. So thank you for making my job so easy. But what I want to do here on this board, let's just look at this story a little bit. I want to try and draw something out and see if we can understand exactly what's happening. Okay, so right at the top here, there is a need, Right? Who had the need? The crowd. In the story, the crowd had the need. How many was in the crowd? 5,000 plus. Right, okay. And what, what was the need? It's, they, yeah, it's very clear. The disciples say, this place is desolate. So it's desolate. Hope you can read my writing. It's, this is more for the sake of pointing at things. It's much more fun. How's my writing, Judith? Will I be a good teacher? Thank you. Desolate. We could say it was isolated, right? 
they said the hour is very late. The people are hungry. The, the scripture before that said that Jesus was healing them. He had compassion on them and he was healing them. There's loads of needs in the crowd. And who do the, what happens here? Let me put in this box here, the disciples, right? Okay. How many disciples were there? We can say 12. Sometimes there's 72. Sometimes there's a small group of three. But for argument's sake, let's just say there's 12, right? Okay. And something interesting happens here. Jesus is doing what Jesus does. He's healing the sick. He's probably talking to the children. He's having a great time. And the disciples are doing what the disciples are doing. They're probably amongst the crowd and hearing people rumble, saying, oh, this is a great meeting. Isn't this an awesome meeting? I'm having such a good time. But you know what? It's getting really late. And I am starving. How many of us are like that on a Sunday morning when I'm you know, preaching in about 10 minutes' time, right? You know, and the disciples are looking at Jesus, but they're also among the crowd. And in the crowd, they can sense that there is a need. Okay, So the disciples are connected to the crowd. They know that there's a need. And here's what they do. They think, man, we've got to tell Jesus about this. I don't know if he's noticed, but it's getting late. <laughs> you know, I don't know if the preachers noticed, but it's nearly lunchtime. And um, the disciples go to Jesus, but they think, hold on. We better go with some kind of plan. We've done this before, haven't we? We've gone to Jesus, and he said things that we never expected. So we need to get a little bit prepared this time. And I can just imagine the disciples telling Peter, James, and John, you know, the three that Jesus loves, you go talk to him. You know, it's like my children when, when um, I've got three children. The youngest is Alicia. She's only four. And the older two know that she can get away with stuff. It's, I, would, I would like to say it's not because I favor her. Honestly, I don't think it's for that. But there's an innocence, right? So sometimes I'm washing the dishes in the kitchen and... <laughs> it's true, sometimes. And, and, and Lissy, Lissy will come through the kitchen door and she'll smile and she'll say, Daddy, can I have some chocolate? But you know just around the corner... The other two have said, Lissy, go ask daddy for chocolate. Because they were asked afterwards and they had the no. And Ben sticks his head around and he's doing this with his eyebrows. <laughs> he does it. If you do youth work, you'll see he does it. So I know exactly what's happening. And I think that's what's happening right here with the disciples. They know that there's a need. There's hunger. But they want to go to Jesus. And so they say, we'll go to Jesus. But I tell you what, let's go with a plan. And so they talk to each other. And Judas, maybe even Thomas speaks up. I know what we can do. Here's an easy plan. Let's send them home. Problem solved, right? Yeah, we'll just send them home. Great idea, Thomas. I doubt it's going to work though, but... Come on, guys. <laughs> anyway, so they, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the place you brought us to is pretty remote. I don't know if you've noticed, but you've been preaching for a long time. People are hungry. What should we do? And Jesus says, they do not need to go away. I love that. Well, we'll, there's three things that Jesus says. We'll get into that in a minute. Jesus makes a statement. They do not need to go away. You do something about it, right? So over here is Jesus. How many is Jesus? Yes, one. I mean, again, we could say one over three. If we want to be three and one, whatever. But there's Jesus. The disciples come to Jesus. Jesus, what does he do? Most of us leaders, people in relationship, we, I know I would do this looking at when I draw this out last night, thinking, man, I probably need to restructure my relationships a little bit. I would be like, oh man, you guys are right, and run all the way to the, the need. 
How can I do to help you? What can we do? What can we do? That's not how Jesus does. What does he do? Who does he go to first? He says, guys, you do something about it. The onus is on the disciples. Now, what do they do? They go back to Thomas and they say, I told you so. (laughs) We got to do something about this. In Mark 6, there's exactly the same parable. And it's a little bit more detail because in Matthew 14 here, it goes, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I love how succinct Jesus is. You know, Jesus is so simple and to the point. It's incredible. And in between verse 16 and verse 17, something happens because they say to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. In the discussion in Mark, Jesus says to, to the disciples, go and see if you can find some bread. So he even gives them a little bit of an idea of what they need to do. So the disciples now, over here, let me do this. There's a little boy. How many boys? One guy, right? One little boy. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if the disciples go looking for bread saying, hey, do you have any bread? We need to um, feed everyone. And, and most people, let's be honest, in this situation would um, look at their lunch if they had planned ahead and brought a lunch because they know that Jesus takes a long time ministering to people. So they came prepared. And if they'd say, what? You want to feed everyone. But if you feed everyone, what will I have? No, I didn't bring a lunch. You know? I mean, that, that, that happens, doesn't it? Um, someone's phone's beeping. Might be mine. But somewhere in this story, a little boy says, you're looking for food? Here's my food. And like Trevor said with Ananias and Sapphira, he didn't say, you know, I've got five loaves, two fish. I walked a long way. I haven't had lunch. I'm going to keep two loaves and one fish myself, and you can have the rest. What does the little boy do? This is what I got, guys. Have it. So the disciples find a little boy. Whose faith is in operation there? I don't know. I mean, I would like to say it's this chaps. I'd like to be that guy, right? And here, yeah, what does the little boy do? He, that's one there. Not, that's not little. That's not like Aldi. He comes back to the disciples with the provision. It's very clearly Jesus says, bring it to me. So the disciples go back to Jesus with the bread, with the loaves. Jesus blesses it. Here's an amazing thing too. Jesus didn't just give it straight back to the people. It's very clear. He said, now, disciples, I'm going to give you the bread. You go and get people to sit down. Go get them to sit down in groups. There is such a flow of relationship modeled in this one little chapter of four verses. So Jesus blesses the food. You can see this all right, yeah? You can see this all right, yeah? Cool. And he gives it back to the disciples. The disciples get everyone to sit down, like he said. The disciples take it to the need. And what happens? A miracle happens. One person is the answer to over 5,000 people's needs. Why? When relationships structure correctly. Does that make sense? Now, I want to say that again. God wants this to be a year where miracles flow through our relationships. So let's look first at the three things that Jesus said before we get too, too detailed. The first thing he says... Guys, what what was the first thing he said? I need a streak. In Matthew 14, I'll give you the answer, verse 16. What's the first thing Jesus says? That's it. Do they do not need to go away? Have you guys got a Bible open or have I got the scripture on? Yeah. The first thing Jesus says is don't send them away. God's heart, guys, is for relationship. God's desire, this word relationship, it's not just another one of the buzzwords that we at church can be so good at talking about sometimes. 
this is the very crux, the very center of everything that Jesus desires to have with us. Jesus is all about relationship. You know, I'm John, the, the book of John. Let me just read you. I went through yesterday and highlighted just in these three chapters, uh, 14, 15, 16. You know, when Jesus talks about, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Abide in me. Listen to this. This is the heart that Jesus has for relationship. I'm just going to read through. You don't have to answer any crazy questions, okay? Do, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that we may be with you forever. You know him because he abides with you and I will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. We will come to you and make our home with you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Abide in my words. It goes on. I mean, it's just, all of this is about, can you see it? It's about relationship. All things the Father, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of what is mine and will disclose it to you. A holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And this is now chapter 17. This, these, these three chapters are just full of this relationship picture. It says um, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus has an incredible, incredible heart for relationships. What is your heart and your, the lens that you look at the relationships in your life through? Sometimes I feel a little bit like the disciples. <laughs> I'm not talking about you guys now, okay? But sometimes I'm tired. And I'm like, guys, let's just all go home. <laughs> you probably see me when I lock up at the coffee shop, right? Or maybe Barry, Barry saw this was like too. When we switch the lights off and everyone's having a great time in the coffee shop, I'm like, guys, just go home. <laughs> I want to lock up. <laughs> Janita, is it ever like that at your work sometimes? The end, end, end of a shift and people just still want to buy Swatsky's crystals. And you're like, guys, go home. It's the end of the shift. You know, sometimes we need to look, I need to look at my relationships the way Jesus said Jesus said, don't send them away. You know, the precursor to this, in Matthew 14, John is beheaded. John was one of Jesus' real close friends. And, and like John led the way for Jesus. John, there was this incredible connection in the spirit. When Jesus' mother Mary went to visit John's mother Elizabeth, both babies jumped in the womb. Like they were best friends before they even met each other, right? John was beheaded. Jesus was in a place that he'd lost something. It says that he went to a secluded place by himself to pray. Guess what happened in that place? Crowds gathered. Jesus didn't send the crowds away. He was tired. He was going through the loss of something, and he healed their sick. Then the disciples came and said, Jesus, I've had enough too. Send them away. And he said, no, my heart is for relationship. The, heart, the eyes that we need to look at the people in this world through are that same eyes that Jesus wants relationship. And did you know that the need never broke the relationship? No matter how great the need was, the need was never a stumbling block or, or um, a bridge too far for the relationship. You know, I really want, uh, I'm learning to model that in earthly relationships as well. How many of you know that relationships, by definition, if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, there's going to be some form of conflict. 
You know, it says more about us as disciples, because who's in the middle? Who are we wanting to be? Disciples. About how we deal with our conflicts. And oftentimes, some of the hardest things that I've had to go through with people and their friends, once we've gone through it together, at the end of it, our relationships are stronger than ever. We could, we could fight battles together because we know that we've done that. We've got that history. We've been through things together. That's the perspective that Jesus has on relationships. There's an incredible need. Jesus was in a place of, of need. He needed some, to be alone, to pray, to connect with his father, to find out what was to, he was to do next. But in, he never let, let the need define the relationship. Does that make sense? Danny Silk says this amazing thing that um, in, in relationships that we need to be, our relationships with each other need to be based on love, not upon what we believe or the things that we value. Because sometimes we can value different things differently. For example, one person can support Man U, and I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm not really a football fan, but <laughs> Trevor's a Liverpool fan, so I have to be a Liverpool fan by default. <laughs> you know, sometimes... Our, our love for each other is stronger. There's little things that we can disagree on. That's the problem that's happened in churches. Churches say, we're unified, but this church believes about this with the sacraments, and this church believes this, and this church believes this about ladies in ministry, and this church believes this, and all of a sudden, well, if we believe something different, I cannot be in a relationship with you. Is that a godly basis for relationship? No. No matter what the need was, Jesus was committed to being in a relationship. You know, no matter what the need that we have, through our sinful lives, Jesus is committed to us. Trevor said something last Sunday. I think it was Sunday. Maybe it was Thursday. I can't remember. We've done a week of prayer, right? He said, um, if Jesus, Jesus wasn't the friend of sinners, he would have been a very lonely person. <laughs> wow. You know, the, the Pharisees called Jesus, oh, you're a friend of sinners. You're going to Zacchaeus' house again today. What are you doing in the house of a sinner? You should be here with us, righteous men. Mate, <laughs> we're all sinners. If Jesus wasn't the friend of sinners, none of us would have been in relationship with him. Despite our needs for salvation, his desire for relationship was stronger. You, can you see the heart I'm getting in here? The second thing Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And in that one sentence, something incredible happens. The disciples discover their mission. The disciples discover their purpose. In one sentence, one statement, the disciples have noticed that there's a need. Disciples have noticed that there's a complaint. I want to use that word complaint because the scripture for this year is Habakkuk 2. I will stand on my watch. I will see what the Lord will say to me about this complaint. Our ability to watch over the complaint can either make us or break us. The disciples wanted to send them away. And if they had sent them away, they would have missed the opportunity to discover their mission. Jesus made it their mission to be the solution for the need. Jesus is making it your mission to be the solution for the need that you see. That's quite a, a shock, isn't it? I, I love, I, I see problems. Sometimes I rather didn't see them. But I see problems and oftentimes I'm just like, man, let me give you an example. For example, we're in a restaurant and the cutlery is dirty and someone's spilt a glass on the, on the floor and there's broken glass. If it was the coffee shop here, I would, is Tommy in here today? Tommy? I would say, Tommy, we need to fix that up. It's not my responsibility. In the restaurant, 
I'd say, hey, wait, you guys need to fix this. It's not my responsibility because I'm, I'm here, you know, as a, as a customer. We can't look at the relationships in our, in our lives that way. When we see problems, sometimes we want to just hide away from them. But God is saying, oh, you've seen it. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to bring it to me? And if you bring it to me, I will give you the mission of being the miracle that can break through that problem. See what happens? In one word, Jesus gives the disciples their mission. He wants to make it our responsibility to be the solution. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I use the word miracle. I really want to see miracles in a new way this year. But let me use this word, solution. You know, miracle doesn't just have to be someone getting healed. A miracle in this case was someone's belly being filled. That's a miracle, right? There are people in our lives who need hope. You giving them hope is a miracle to them. There are people in our lives, in our, in our worlds, in our spheres who need love, who need consistency in relationship. You know, it's the simplest, smallest things. This little chap here, he didn't have much, did he? It's a small, simple, small thing. Sometimes we are missing out on God moving in our relationships in miraculous ways because we think all he needs is a word of encouragement. Someone else will give it to him. I'm in a rush, you know? All he needs is someone to say, hey, dude, you're doing a great job. That's all people need sometimes. Are we going to answer the call to be the solution? The final thing that Jesus says in all these conversations, once the disciples find the bread and the, the, the fish, Jesus says, bring them to me. Our role as disciples is to lead people to Jesus. Lead people to Jesus. You know, you don't always have to um, tell them the gospel, but Jesus is love. Jesus is hope. Jesus is the Holy Spirit who is peace, joy, gentleness, patience. Let's lead people to Jesus in all of our relationships. And I'm working on this one, guys. I'm working on that one. When I meet with people, I told you a couple months ago about my story that I'm getting to grips with at the hairdressers and stuff, just telling people what I do. You know, I'm, I work for a church. It's an amazing church. It's filled of amazing people. And God does amazing things. I'm, I, I've had to, to cross that. It was hard for me. I don't know why, but it was. You, you can listen online if you want to hear the story. Anyway, the next step, Jesus said, bring them to me. Jesus was always giving an invitation. I'm trying to say, hey, guys, why don't you come along with me to something? Come to the coffee shop. Have a coffee with me. Come to church. Let's be people who offer an invitation. You know, we're not responsible for their answer, but we are responsible for giving them the invitation. That's quite something, isn't it? So often we think, well, I can't make them come, and um, they might think it's really weird, especially if Ryan's leading worship again. So I'm, um, or yeah, I'm not going to give them the invitation because then they don't feel pressurized. You know, you're not responsible for that, but Jesus has made us responsible for something. Invite them. So I'm challenged, Lord, do that for me. I uh, had an amazing, uh, man, I'm running out of time. I have an amazing friend in Manchester. And he was talking about, he, he's a graphic designer. Manchester, Media City, he makes movies and, and like um, adverts for pretty big companies. And, and he, he is incredible at talking to his clients about Jesus. And I was in a little group and they were saying, hey, James, how do you do it? Seriously, like you've got so much at risk. 
you, you're doing campaigns for incredibly wealthy companies with very different values and, and mindsets of what's, what's politically correct, what the world should do. And here you are being so blatant talking to them about Jesus. And he said, you know what? Jesus is absolutely spectacular. He used that word, spectacular. How can I not talk about him? I was blown away. I was like, man, that's so true. You know, our inability to answer the need actually reflects our relationship with Jesus. The more in love I become with Jesus, I don't need to worry about what people think. I've talked about my children this morning, haven't I? I don't care that sometimes they have snotty noses or Lissy can't tie her shoelace or Ben's hair is an absolute mess most of the time. I don't care. I love them. I'm going to talk about them. I talk about them to everyone. I'm one of those guys who even gets my phone out and says, hey, look at this, look at this chap, this is my boy, because I love him. <laughs> Other kids are rolling around in really cool clothes, and I've tried that. He just, like, gets mud over everything. I still love him. I talk about him. It's the same with Jesus. You know, Jesus is absolutely superb. How can we be silent? How can we not say something about him? Okay, so that's the first thing. The three decrees that Jesus made. Give us such a, a, a little window and insight into the value of relationships and how we need to watch over the relationships in our lives. So who are you connected to? No connection is too small. You know, I love the, the, the whole teaching about the seven mountains and spheres of influence. And as you climb up the mountains, you have more authority. That's absolutely true. But there's a back door and it's called relationship. This little guy because the relationship with the disciples was able to meet the need of 5,000 people. There's an amazing story in the Bible of a slave girl. Now, biblical times, being a slave was pretty low, right? Being a lady was pretty low too. Being a slave girl in a foreign country was about as low as you could get. Her master's name was Nahum. He was covered in leprosy. She didn't have to climb up the ranks of being an army official, being responsible over a, a a squadron of a hundred and then becoming a major, then becoming a general before she could talk to Nahum. All she said was, I wish you would go to my country because there's a prophet who can heal you. Bam. No ladders to jump over. Relationship is an incredible thing. So ask yourself this week, who am I connected to? No connection is too small. No mountain is too big. I want to, as Matt around, Matt, Ah, Phil, there's this, this picture I want to show you. Stick, stick it up of the snowbusters. Something crazy. Okay, this was in the newspaper. Okay, can you I'll show you afterwards. I've got, I've got the newspaper here. You can have a look. This is fun. I want to use this as a testimony. Okay, so this is the Dudley Express and Star front page. That right there is me. Yes. Yes. I'm holding a show snovel. Show shovel. <laughs> And the title, I don't think you can get much cheesier than this, guys. Who are you going to call? Snowbusters, right? Okay, let me tell you a little story. Who are you connected to? Okay, so over here, this is me in the last couple of months. Here's Ryan, okay? Uh, you can take it off, uh, thank you, before people start taking pictures and tagging me in really funny posts. <laughs> here I am, okay? And here's Jesus. And I have been praying to Jesus, and Jesus has been talking to me about this thing called hiddenness, right? You all know the story of the black country. One of the queens drove through in industrial times, and it was smoky, and she said, oh, 
pull down the veil. I do not want to see this black country. And when I found out about that, I'm going to God, Lord, remove the veil of hiddenness, as, as many of you have as well. And a friend's come into this building, and they walk through the doors, and they're like, gee, mate, it's like a TARDIS in here. I don't know why that was Australian. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, they're like, this is like a TARDIS. I never thought all of this space was back here, you know. And, and there's this veil of hiddenness. I'm like, Lord, would you remove the veil of hiddenness? And Jesus is giving me prophetic words saying, I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to give you songs that go places. I'm going to give you platforms. The Lord is going to do amazing stuff. And I'm saying, thank you, Lord, do it today. He's saying, yes, right, I'm going to do it for you. Amen, let's do it. And we're going back and forth. And I'm getting absolutely hectic like I'm talking right now. I'm vibrating. I'm getting crazy, but nothing is happening. And Jesus is thinking, come on, chappy. The reason nothing is happening is because you haven't found who you're connected to. Who am I connected to? I'm praying for this. Lord, release the hidden stuff. Lord, Lord, give us favor. Lord, would you take off the veil of hiddenness? Lord, make your kingdom come that you will be done. And he's saying, yes, it's going to happen, Ryan. Yes, it's going to happen. I'm saying, great, awesome. What's going on? Fortunately, I have a wife. I'm going to put my wife over here. She's not a little boy. But she serves the same purpose. I have a wife. I have a relationship with my wife. Anna says to me this week, Ryan, Dudley Council, you see, Anna has got a connection with a need. Oh, a need. The need is Dudley Metropolitan Council. They have a need that they need people to take responsibility for their streets. They don't know how to do it. So they talk to Anna, and Anna talks to me, and I say, hey, Jesus, there's a need here. Do you think this could work? And Jesus is like, at last. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to connect. I've been waiting for you to get into the crowd. I've been waiting for you to find you connected to. Of course you can. And after praying and, and you know, that scripture, Lord, send forth arrows of victory. Lord, remove the veil. Two days later, guys, that happens. You can't make this up. Isn't that amazing? Give God glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's amazing. It is the thing. It's not about me being famous, right? I don't want that. I want Jesus to be famous. And Jesus wants to be famous. Yeah, that's what he died on the cross for. But he can't get there unless we open up the relationships. We've got to understand who are we connected to. You know, some, some of us, it's our family. Some of us at your life groups, definitely it's this church. We are an incredible connection for a purpose. We're not just here to be and have a great coffee on a Sunday and we'll sing some songs together and be prayed for and have our lives changed. It's for us to go out as a network and to make a difference. You know, what, how are you connected with your boss? Yes, that terrible neighbor. How are you connected with him? These are purposeful relationships. I think the Lord is speaking to you about your neighbor. <laughs> Work with what you have. So you've got to get into the crowd. You've got to work with what you have. This little boy could have said, man, I'd love to be a part of some miracle. I watch too much American programs. All my accents are American. Anyway, you could say, I'd love to be part of this miracle, but all I got is my little lunchbox. I wish God could do something with it. Yes, he can. Work with what you got. It could be that neighbor. That's what you got. Work with it. Let's go. Let's do this. The next thing we need to do to work with our relationships is to approach them as mature sons and daughters. Someone prayed this prayer on the, on the Monday morning at 6 a.m. Who was mature in this situation? And, and does maturity got anything to do with age? 
we don't know how old this guy was but he was a little boy he was mature because he released what he had you know orphans hold on to stuff people who have got an orphan mentality people who who feel that God is not enough that they're not enough that this world's not going to be enough for them they hold on to stuff if we want to see relationships moving with miracles we've got to let go you see the maturity even we give the disciples a hard time I was mocking them even now but the thing is they were mature look at the frequency of this how many times did they go to Jesus how many times did they go to the need they were quite mature they knew who the answer was they knew where the supplier was they knew who the provider was so they were they were mature and Jesus showed such maturity he didn't say great guys you're giving me the fish and the breads now watch what I'm gonna do express and style where are you this is going to be awesome and goes straight to the crowd and says here have some you have some you have some he lets the miracle happen where with us he lets the miracle happen with us jesus releases his power to the disciples he gives them back the back the loaves and the fishes he says you go and do the miracle this is your destiny we need to treat our relationships in such maturity we need to be people who release, don't hold on. People who see the best in others. People who, who choose to trust despite the need. Okay, I, I'm nearly done, guys. The third, the third point I want to make, and I hinted at this already, and that is watch over the complaint. This is where it all starts with the need. Do we recognize that there's a need? I grew up in Zimbabwe, and our culture... Collins and Sandra can tell you that our culture was was very um, probably more like an old Victorian world. Like we couldn't question authority. We were children could be seen and not spoken. You know, and I was I was very very aware of of uh, structure and who was in charge and I, when I could talk, when I couldn't talk, what was polite. And I can always recognize a Zimbabwean at a meal table. I could go into someone's house. I could be starving like absolutely starving and someone in the, the owner of the house the, the host could say hey ryan would you like something to eat the most unpolite thing you could do was say yes i had incredible need i was a growing teenage boy playing rugby and hockey and all this crazy stuff and i was starving but it was unpolite to say yes i had a need so you had to say no and then the host, because this was the, the um, what you call it, the conduct, the way things happened. The host would, would then have to say, are you sure? Wouldn't you like some? And then you say, no, it's no, not if it's any bother. And then on the third time, the host would say, if the host really wanted to give you something to eat. You see, that's how you knew if they really wanted to give you something to eat. Or they were just saying it because of convention. Are you sure I've actually prepared a meal? You can have some. Then you're allowed to say, yes, please, I'm absolutely starving. <laughs> You know, I'm not like that anymore. <laughs> if you have me at your house, I might even come and open your fridge and say, hey, where's, where's the drinks? <laughs> so we all have pre-programmed ideas of how we're meant to deal with need. Our family has taught us. Some of you have been taught by your moms and dads, stop complaining. Stop whinging. <laughs> you know, we can take our needs to God without it being whinging. What that does is we might see the need, but we will dismiss it. Uh, we need to get real with the need. Some of us try to rationalize the need. That's what the disciples did. They have a need, but there's no shops close. I don't have any food. The only answer is send them home. Here's a question for you. 
did that actually answer the need? Were people's needs met? The need was hunger. Was their need met? No. By the disciples saying, send them home, they probably had another two, three hour walk on a donkey sometimes. They, their need wasn't met. We can rationalize, but that is not actually meeting the need. Don't try and answer the need in man's strength. Don't, let's not give any excuses anymore. Let's give opportunities for the supernatural to happen. Sometimes we can get really caught up in the need. We, we, can, we can not take it to Jesus and we can get um, like stressed by it, burdened down by it. Needs at work, needs in the workplace especially. There's a need and we just think, man, Lord, this is so tough. I've just got to put myself through it. There's nothing anyone can do. I'm just going to, this is what it is, what it is. We're victims. That's not what God wants us to do with the need either. He wants us to watch over the need. And here's what he wants us to do. He wants us to take the need to him. Just like in Habakkuk 2 when I started, it says, I will stand on my watch. I will see what the Lord will say to me about this complaint. So let's be mature. Let's take the need to Jesus. You know, I want to just look at this word. I'm almost done, I promise. Desolate. It was a desolate place. Jesus went to the desolate place on purpose. You know what? Sometimes the needs that we have in our lives have been God orchestrated because he is trying to get you to cry out to him to bring a miracle down. Some of the needs we have, we can think, oh man, this is not going right in this relationship and it's that person's fault. Or it's that person's fault because he's just such a mean boss. I don't know. Some of the things, the situations we're in, we, we're just victimizing it and saying, ah, oh, it's a desolate place. But God led them there on purpose to show him their power. And here's the final thing, and this is what I love because God flips the table. Right here we have a need. But did you know that before there was even a need, Jesus God and the Holy Spirit have desires. God's desire is that everyone is filled. God's desire is that the hungry will not be turned away empty. God's desire is that the sickness is made whole. God's desire is that chains are broken. God's desire is that people are brought into a relationship with Him. God's desire is salvation. We think that we're answering the need. What we're actually doing as disciples is answering Jesus' desire. And the need becomes totally something else. It's not about the need. It's about Jesus. This is an opportunity for you to bring your desire, the thing that you purchased on the cross for the people in my life, into fruition. Why don't we all stand up together? How many of you want to answer that call, that invitation to see miracles flow through your relationships this year? I, I totally do. I'd love to see that. I'd love to hear testimonies, you know, and it's going to happen in the simplest of ways. Doors opening so easily. Here's what I want to do. A bit later on, we'll pray for anyone who needs any specific needs. Why don't we just join hands? This is who we're connected to at the moment. And I just want to pray over us. Yeah, you can join aisles if you want. I mean, look. Bind us together, bind us together. Why don't you just, just pray for the person on your left, everyone. Just, just bless them. Say, Lord, help them identify the relationships that you've called them to impact. Lord, would you do it? Would you open our eyes? Help us identify those relationships. Pray, Lord, get me into the crowd. Lord, take us out of any isolation. God, take us out of um, 
little comfort zones that we've built for ourselves and take us into the crowd. Let us, let us identify the need, Lord Jesus. Lord, take us out of limited, worldly, orphan thinking. Lord, take us into the realm of possibility, into the realm of supernatural, into the realm of more than enough. Pray this now. Say, Lord, help them work with what they have. Help us work with what we have, Lord Jesus. Nothing is too small. No beginning is too small, Lord. No meal is too small. No opportunity is too small, Lord Jesus. No situation is too small. No relationship is too small, Lord Jesus. And finally, just just pray this out. Holy Spirit, help me move in miracles through my relationships this year. I'll make it tomorrow. Tomorrow in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Why would you give God a hand for what he's done this morning? Thank you, Lord. There's an opportunity for relationships right now. Coffee shop is open. I want to I wanna open up the front. If anyone has any specific needs, I felt um, before I was preaching, I just saw someone with stomach pains. I really believe the Lord wants to heal stomach pains this morning. If that's you, come on down. I would love to pray with you. Gary, um, Chris and Karen, Sarah and Simon are also here. We're going to just pray. If anyone has any needs, come on down. We'd want to pray with you. But why don't we end with this? The coffee shop's open. Life groups are starting next Sunday, guys. Great opportunity for a relationship. Just say the grace to each other. Turn to someone you've never seen and say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us all evermore. Amen. Have a fantastic week. Thursday night we're meeting. Sunday morning we're meeting. And we'll see you again. If you want any prayer, come on forward.